On this episode of Sessions, we sit down with Megan Amberson, Brand Strategy Director and Extraordinaire. Tune in as we chat about the gigs that got her to her level of expertise today and her five key steps to getting to the core of a campaign brief, how to approach getting past those internal assumptions and address the challenge at hand. Hey guys, and welcome to Sessions by Matt Black, a podcast by and for the creative class focused on digging into the things that make brands and campaigns go from good to great. This is Micah Haykoop, the managing director here at Matt Black, and today I'm with Megan Amberson, uh, formerly the brand strategy director at Roundhouse. Hi, how are you? And now... Now, what am I doing? A free agent, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. We had... I. I was texted last week about you. You've been, we've been going back and forth for a while. And then I had a friend, a mutual friend, Puno, who also has a great podcast, um, or, or does a lot of great podcasts, who's like, oh, you're interviewing my friend Megan. I told you this story already, so I apologize for bearing the lead, but uh, she, she was like, you're interviewing my friend Megan. I didn't put it together, that was you. And she was writing, I actually have to read, I'm gonna read this text, because I thought she was just pitching me on giving you a job. And she was like, so yeah, she and I used to work together at DDB. She knows Jay Ferrand, who I worked with at Tom's, and then was running the, the branding for the peer. I don't know if he's still there. But then, here's this. She knows how to win work and write an insightful creative brief. Her approach has always been leave your assumptions at the door. For example, when I was working on Call of Duty, she found a group of boys and had us over to their apartment to play with them, which I don't know if I'm totally perjuring <laughs> well, I'm allowed yeah, to I say mean, that, but this is like, I thought this was the greatest pitch of someone of all time o- over text. So I'm really excited to talk to you about brand strategy um, because if Puno says you're amazing, then you're definitely, definitely amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah. Puno was pretty incredible. We actually, that project, we had this brilliant idea of, you know, gamers. What about fraternity gamers? What's their scene? What's going on inside the fraternity walls within gaming? And so we actually went to UCLA, interviewed a bunch of frat houses, went in with a video camera, yeah. ended up capturing some amazing footage, talking to people, found out some incredible insights. But man, fraternities, it was a, it was an exploration for Puno and I, for sure. That's the, un, the, the forsaken land of, of, <laughs> of man houses. But yeah. we had a good time, and I think that's just the way to do it. Do you still play Call of Duty, or did you <laughs> never play Call of Duty? I did play, do not currently play. That was my... Um, I was I was lucky in that I was in college when Modern Warfare came out, which was like which I feel like was like the big crux of gaming in a way where you were mm-hmm. like you can have like movie quality storylines inside of a video game, and so then the four years I was in college we had like all of like the big between like what was it Treyarch and Activision mm-hmm. like of them like doing all of the amazing Call of Duty games. So thank you for whatever you contributed to that because I benefited. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so a couple get to know you questions outside of Puno's glowing review. Um, you an early bird or a night owl? 
Definitely early bird. Really? I don't know. I think there's something about pushing yourself to get up when it's dark, like this morning, pushing myself to get oh my up, God. run Wilshire and Whoa. be down and then start the day. My brain just works better in the morning. But I do think there is something really beautiful about staying up late and night culture is one of the more fascinating parts of, of life. So I think it's always a balance, but I think from a productivity point of view, it's always waking morning. up early. Okay. So what about then your celebrity crush? Ah, this was a tough this one. Was a, this no, was this. a tough one because, you know, there's a lot. You know, a celebrity crush could be, oh, aesthetics. It could be attitude. But I think when I really thought about it, um, David Lynch was the person that came to mind as far as longstanding um, admiration. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you've read his latest book. He wrote with Christine McKenna. It's called Room to Dream. It's actually one of the most brilliant approaches to a story I've ever had. sort of read is, she, as a biographer and autobiography, they kind of switch between each chapter. Mm. So she writes one on his whole life, interviewing everyone, and then he writes the next one, reflecting on that same point in time. So you actually get like a full spectrum of his experience. Wow. And I think for me, I was just most impressed with not only his his creative output, love his work, but the fact that his process is all about being a good person and working collaboratively with people, even though he's doing very dark narratives. Yeah. And I think it's just really interesting to think about someone who has been able to sustain creativity over his entire life and produce things that at times people thought were totally terrible. And then 20 years later were completely brilliant. And I think his dedication is, is pretty incredible. And one thing that really left stuck with me when I, when I finished the book was his belief that, when you have a creative project, if you feel good about it, it's a success. If it's if it's if it's received well, et cetera, that's just icing on the cake. But for him, as long as he felt good about it, that's where the power came from. And I yeah. think that's a great lesson for all of us is how we approach things. So lastly, then I think this goes well into what's your daily mantra? My daily mantra, I mean, besides get up, it's dark. Um, <laughs> it would have to be. Um, lead with love. It's kind of corny, but I think that's not corny. <laughs> I think, you know, it's not even just these times that we're living in, but it's the notion that as a creative professional, you can bring your heart and the fact that you can lead and guide with love to me is the most important thing, because if anything business needs, it's an injection of love mm -hmm. and philosophy of thinking of others. So for me, that's just something I try to do, whether it's the person parking my car or the person that I'm selling an idea to or a team I'm working with, love is absolutely the most important part. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a, was there a time where you weren't leading that way and it moved you into that? Or do you feel like it's a philosophy that was instilled in you for a long time? I think it's always been there, but yeah. I think like much of our world, it, there has, there's also that great alchemy of stress and adrenaline that we can sort of lead our energy with. And I think when we bring those sort of qualities to the meeting or the lunch or whatever it is, you end up getting into a very strange place of, of, of kind of frantic. And so for me, leading with love is just about being centered, about bringing my heart to everything and hoping that everyone around me is having a good time as well and feels that. Totally. And, I, and it, wears off on, it wears off on other people mm -hmm. in a good way. So how would you end up where you are in brand strategy? So your brain strategy is like, I'm not, I'm not asking for the life history, but I do want to know, like, obviously we, we love what you've been able to work on. We're so excited to be interviewing you. So my, my question is, how did you end up with the mind you have now for brain strategy? Where'd you start? Um, really, it was an intro to anthropology class. When I, to undergrad, I was in the, one of those basic, you know, you got to take this class. 
walked in the big auditorium, started hearing the professor talking about people, what they do, how they behave. And then instantly I was like, oh my God, what, how do I do this? Without, that quick and connected. Well, in the sense of like, how, how does this apply in the real world? How could I take this thinking and this process and this sort of like exploration into humans into a space that fits within our modern culture? When I really dug into it, it was really all about, okay, you can either go professor route or into the world that we live in. Um, so for me, that was the beginning, and then it just completely unfolded from there. That's, that's awesome. And so a little bit of the career history, you've always been agency side, or no, you've, you've bounced back and forth between agency and brand? My very first uh, job out of college was in Nike's Consumer Cultures Lab, and that was basically a dream job, um, basically sitting inside the Nike headquarters thinking about how to connect with consumers. But what I really found was I thought, well, man, I could I could stay here and hide in this in this spot forever, but I will only know one brand. And so for me, it was all about getting out in the world and trying to learn from every brand I could and not thinking about, oh, that's a good one or that's a bad one. It was like, what's interesting? How can I get there? How can I connect to people? Um, so for me, it was just wanting to, to understand all brands. Yeah. And what agency did you go to after Nike? S started at DDB. Yeah. Um, worked on Activision, cool. Call of Duty reference. Woohoo. Um, woo also worked on Wells Fargo while I was there, right when the um, economic crash of 2008 happened. So that was real fun. Yeah. Uh, those briefs were really interesting. Worse though, you could have been around <laughs> for the Wells Fargo uh, making managers make fake accounts crisis of like two years ago. So I, know. I would say 2008 economic crash was bad. <laughs> better time. Dodge that bullet. Dodge for sure. that bullet. <laughs> no, and I, you know, I think it was, DDB was interesting to me because they, to your Mad Men reference, they were one of the big ones. Um, and so for me, I just wanted to start at kind of the basics. I didn't, I wanted to avoid trying to constantly seek out the coolest brands and be like, I want to be able to work with any brand. Um, so for me, that was, that was a good start. Um, and after that, I ended up going to Trailer Park here in town and worked in their video, started up their video game division. Um, was a video game strategist for a few years, which was really, really fun. Um, and then eventually made my way to Widen and Kennedy and onward and onward. Wait, so we're going back for a second. What's your favorite video game of all time? This is going to be very random, but okay. it has, <laughs> if you haven't played it, Napoleon Dynamites on the DS. Amazing. What? I know. No one's played it. It's an incredible game. It's What's tough. It? It's beautiful. It's art direction is incredible. In fact, we what all know Puno good, loves it too. Yeah. What makes a good game for you though? Well, besides aesthetics, I think most of all, it's like the story and taking me into a place where I can completely escape my moment yeah. and just dive in. It's just like a book. It's just like anything else. And then it's just, oh my God, I have to beat that level. That's unreal. Yeah. So what's the... Um, of all the different brands you've worked on, what, what's been the most creatively challenging? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I have to say working on imported from Detroit for Chrysler oh, and Dodge. Shit campaign. We talk about that. We literally referenced that like two weeks ago. Well, it's an interesting one because at the time, you know, the line was great, work was great. We had an M&M Super Bowl spot that everyone was amazed at and actually drove revenue and sold cars the next day, which, as you know, is hard to do, make a great creative thing and sell the product. Um, but I think for, for my journey, it was definitely one of the more challenging ones because the fact is Detroit is a difficult city to understand. It's a difficult city to extract values and communicate. And for the people of Detroit, they don't see the city the way we see it as outsiders. And so there was a lot of challenges of, hey, clients, your city's amazing. We need to tell more people about it. 
and them feeling like, what? Detroit? It's broken. It's dying. It's decaying. And you're like, no, there's magic there. So I think that was one of my bigger challenges was how do we communicate the magic of a place when people who live there don't see it? So do you feel like, I don't mean to lead with this question at all. Do you feel like there is a way to respect and celebrate the city like that campaign did? And then there's a way to um, take advantage of the narrative like a certain watch company does. I think it's important that both brands came from the same place because they had the shared values. I think it's just a matter of, for me, working on, a, on that work was incredible because I, we had the chance to tell a story about a place that no one thought about, that everyone thought was dead. And I think as a strategist and a creative, that's an incredible challenge mm -hmm. and opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, really proud of the work we did. And I hope that work led to other things coming out of Detroit, oh, such sure. as watch companies. So, yeah. And, when you and sit, like, amazing and I, things. I have love for Shinola in a lot of ways of like the product's really cool. And I also think that they, I think they're a lot different now than in the beginning. I feel like they abuse the narrative a bit in year one and two, but especially being like this kind of like conglomerate with Filson and it, it seemed disingenuous, but I'm sure they're doing a bunch of great things that I don't know about. And so I want to, I want to obviously say that did last question about not that campaign, but was that, was Chrysler also Dodge also, um, the Clint Eastwood is halftime America campaign. Was that the year before the import from Detroit or the year after imported from Detroit? It was the year after. And that okay. was actually a really interesting brief because at the time the brief was, how would you write a letter to America and tell them it's going to be okay? And that's really where that work came from was the notion that as this big brand who had everyone's attention, how can we sort of reassure everyone that things are going to be okay? Yeah. And he, as a spokesperson, was obviously an, an excellent um, person to work with. But I think the, the intention behind that was very much we have a special moment in time with the Super Bowl where we have everyone's attention. How do we kind of tell America something they need to hear right now. Yeah. And it still gives me chills when I rewatch it because I think it really grabbed onto something that people needed yeah. and we were able to bring and the brand was really, really proud to do so. Yeah. And was that 2009, 2010 when those came out or was it 2010, 2011? 2011, 2012. Oh, even later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That stuck around for a long time. It was interesting because I actually chose to not watch the uh, spot um, in its moment of airing with everyone from the agency at a house party. I actually went to a bar and watched people react to it because I wanted to see if our bubble of advertising was actually real. Like, would people visibly be interested and in, in feel it? And I did see that. And it was it was very cool to kind of sit in a bar and watch grown men like very mesmerized and emotionally moved by something that we had made and sort of think about. So I do think that's a good transition into what we want to talk about in terms of like our five things that we always get to in the podcast. And, and with you, it's the getting to like the true challenge, like the actual problem that a brief needs to answer, right? I think there can be times where you muddle things yourself as an agency or times when uh, the brand you're working in with isn't 100% sure what they want. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, how, how do you truly like crystallize on here's the problem that we're answering? And, and yeah, I, I, I think there's a million anecdotes that we can give of like either causing our own problems or brands making things difficult. But I would just love to hear your opinion, obviously having worked on such great stuff. 
Yeah, I think um, I think this is an interesting topic because it kind of puts the onus on ourselves as the agency and the creative professionals, less about clients and the brands, is how we sort of bring assumptions, stereotypes, all of those sort of things that we bring into the room when we're getting a brief. And how do we sort of push that away and into to respect of the work, really get at the baseline of it? And I think going at what is the real problem we're trying to solve is, an, is a simple way of saying, what do we need to do? Like, what does this actually need to do? And for me, over my 10 plus years, I've watched great ideas, lots of time spent, lots of creatives burn out on a process that hasn't actually always been really in service to the problem. It's either to ego or fear, things like that. Um, so I think this is an interesting topic to talk about and be really honest with ourselves as the agencies about how we intake information and how we process and what we bring to it as we start this process, and, the creative process. Yeah, and so you're saying you know, the process sometimes can be in service to the ego as opposed to the the process should be in service to what? The problem, the, problem. the, business, the business, the challenge, the opportunity, the moment in time we're trying to capture. Um, it could be, it's really just kind of getting out of the way and being really honest with ourselves about what we're doing and kind of getting out of our own bullshit and saying, okay, what needs to be done? And like, let's kind of like take our, take our shoes off and like, kind of like get into this, yeah. figure it out yeah. versus I'm going to walk in the room and I want to sound smart or I want to impress people. And that can then lead to places where creative Absolutely. I would say this, that the creative teams can sometimes be the uh, victims of this because they're given the brief and they think they're working on something. And then they're like, wait, that wasn't actually the assignment at all. So I think yeah. that's where as strategists, as MDs, as account people, as clients as well, we have a responsibility to really have a hard conversation in the beginning to make sure that we don't take the creative into a place it doesn't belong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just faced one of those a couple of weeks ago and it's I got this great piece of advice once from my friend Ian, who had started an agency called So and has since left and does a bunch of other things. But he he had said when people when companies are hiring agencies, that person who is in charge of hiring the agency is afraid of getting fired, just like everybody else. And he was saying a lot of the times, though, everything every decision that people make is so they don't get fired. Not they don't think that way. But that's the way that people play. And so if you can help them get outside of the of like the process serving fear, right? That, that would be the process serving the fear of someone thinking you're bad at your job and getting into no, like the process needs to push everything forward. And like obviously you're not gonna get fired, right? Like obviously we're going to do a good job. You're gonna get these things done, whatever. But I think what you're saying totally it, it answers that question of then what should the process serve as the problem. The problem isn't, oh, I don't want to get fired. The problem is whatever pushes the brand into the next place or serves whatever the issue is. Yeah, and I think it's also, I think you're absolutely right. That fear of getting fired, that fear of, uh, fear is just, it, it's the, it's the, uh, basically neutralizes creativity. Yeah. So anytime you start something in a fear-based place, it's not going to be interesting. It's not going to be rich. It's not going to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. So how do you sort of eliminate that through honest conversation, asking the right questions and being really courageous to say, are you sure? Tell us more. Who's like, tell us, like, give us some background on why yeah. you think this is the brief and why you want us to do this. It's and tough. It's, hard, it's, hard, it's hard to do. 
It, it is you, hard. You have to have the courage to be like, not play devil's advocate, but but not just like not along and be like, great, totally get it. Which is the which is the easiest. Like if you're like, we got, I want to get out of here and go get dinner. All you have to say is great. Totally get it. Right. Yeah. And it's, what's worse is to be the person in the room who's like, wait, I don't think we've asked the tough questions. And everyone's like eye rolling. Cause yeah. you're like, you know, yeah, to, to your point, like I have to, yeah. I have to go pick up my kids. Yeah. Um, so I would love to hear it for you. You broke it down a little bit for us. It, it, I would love for you to kind of walk through these, these five steps that, that you wrote out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this one's a, this one's a tough one as a strategist, right? Cause we, the first one being clear your mind of past experiences and exposures and beliefs, mm -hmm. clearing your mind. Okay. So someone walks into you, Mike, and says, Hey, I want you to work on Coca-Cola. Your first thought is Ch -ch 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 -ch. all you're going to think Polar about bears. is all the things yeah. you've seen, felt, loved, hated, etc. You're instantly coming to, a, to that brand with a lot of preconceived ideas. Um, so I think for one thing, that's a very difficult thing to be like, you know, actually zero, I I'm going to clear my minds. I'm going to take all past workout. I'm going to take all past exposure, good or bad. And just really sort of focus on the fact that I am a newborn <laughs> to this brand and coming into it with an openness of blank, because once that happens, then you can start listening because that filter of, oh, past, past experiences, when you're hearing a client brief you will instantly sort of change the course of the project. Yeah, that is, that is that like, cause I think that's a challenge, right? You want to be smart. You want to be, uh, have some background in your pocket. Yeah. But at the end of the day, coming in with a clear, open mind, number one is the most important part. And that help that feeds to what you were saying earlier in terms of like the, the process, even sort of the idea that helps you clear out all of like the ego things that are in the way. A, a good case study for this would be if anyone's ever read the whole like new Coke debacle. That's like what this is about is the idea that Pepsi started doing the Pepsi challenge and then Coke was like, we have to change our recipe. Mm -hmm. So that is a very fascinating read on Coke wasting a lot of money. Um, okay, so what do I do after that? I've now cleared my mind. I'm a blank slate. I'm a newborn child. What's right. next? So the next thing is actually making time and space to ask clients to start at the beginning. So hard. This part, this is the hardest part. This is the hardest part, right? Because the client's anxious to get going, time's against you, the calendar's coming, and you're basically like, oh shoot, we gotta get this, let's like, like, like let's get to it. And I think for number two, making time and space to ask the right questions is absolutely the most important piece. What motivated the ask? What kind of background do you have? Have you tried this and has it failed? Where is this coming from? It's a little bit of like a therapy intake process where yeah. it's like, tell us the story. Yeah, but the background, like, yeah, because rehashing things they've already tried is like the worst. If you if you don't ask them up front and you come with some idea and they're like, oh, we tried that. Go, great. Well, it yeah. also, I think, gives a really interesting dynamic to the relationship. Mm -hmm. Because to your point, clients come to agencies for expertise. But if you start out from a true spot of collaboration, say, hey, clients, let's do this together. Let me talk you through this. Tell me all of your challenges. Tell me everything that's going on so I understand. That instantly creates not only a level playing field of like how things are going to be solved, but you're instantly collaborating with your clients in a different way versus, oh, we're the big agency. We're going to solve it like Don Draper. No, actually, we're here to learn. We're here to listen. And we're here to make this really great with you. Yeah. Do you have a silver bullet question you always ask? Not to solve everything, but like a favorite question that you would always bring up at some point? Oh, yeah. What is it? Goes Can you tell us? It's the big one. It's not that um, mm -hmm. big, but it's a big one in the sense of what's your biggest fear? Mm -hmm. 
Because when you've asked that, what's your biggest fear? That instantly gets them to the point of vulnerability. It gets them to the point of honesty. And it gets everyone in the room to the point of the idea of this, this is this is how this could go badly. And it's not to say you're focusing on it, but you also get the chance to really explore fear around the project and therefore you can eliminate it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to sort of, I mean, all of this requires removal of the ego. It remo it's all about sort of taking your expertise and putting it to the side and putting yourself forward in a vulnerability that I think really does lead to better work, better relationships. And for the creative team that's going to get the brief two days later, they're going to be very happy that they're actually solving the right problem. Problems, yeah. So I, that you led yourself into then your third point, which is a bit around asking them about fear being the first part, but then also talking about past failures, frustrations they have, hopes and dreams, well, you know, what else? I think it's just the belief that curiosity leads to greatness. Mm. When you are able to be curious and ask the right, ask just not right questions, just ask a ton. Just it's, it's almost like, I mean, as a fellow strategist, you know, when you're interviewing consumers, keep going, keep pushing, keep asking. Don't just accept that first one word answer. It's really pushing yourself to have that conversation and really using the notion of curiosity leads to greatness because it does. The more curious you are, the more everything turns out better. Yeah. yeah so yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's like kind of like, duh. Yeah. But at the same time, I think our, our, the energy of the creative industry and, and the business of our clients can sort of forget that curiosity is what makes things powerful. You, and you, you say that a little bit that it's like, yeah, it, it sounds obvious, but I think once you're in it, anyone who, who has worked on an idea, agency, brand, entrepreneur, whatever, you can, you can feel the times where you've just been like, oh, no, like, no, no, I get it. Right. Like you just, you're trying to move past that part to the work. I think sometimes there's comfort in work because there's comfort in feeling like there's progress, even if, even if it's progress towards the wrong thing. It's like the idea of like wanting to be like moving on, like, I don't know, moving on the freeway versus surface streets being faster, even though you have to start and stop, whatever. Um, I think sometimes people take comfort in the idea of like, no, let's get past this part and get to the work. And it's not always the best place to be in versus like the right amount of questions can get you further, further ahead. So you say it sounds obvious, but I think everyone can know times where they rushed it and they're like, I already have an idea. Let's just keep going. Right. And then that goes back to number one, clear your, clear your mind of expectations or your own personal agenda within the concept, because yeah, we all have great ideas but are they appropriate for what's being asked of yeah. us by the clients and for the brands? Because sometimes I like to think beyond just the immediate clients and think of my work as in service to the brand, mm. because that's a different notion because clients can come and go. They can all have different opinions, but at the end of the day, if you're working for, you know, a Shinola or a Coke or anybody, you have a responsibility to try to help that brand be better, better in how it presents itself, better in how it's telling its story, better and just how it, it exists in the world. And ultimately, I believe that will drive the dollars. I totally agree. So first three things, clear your mind, then make space to ask the right questions. Third, uh, <laughs> curiosity will lead you to greatness and we'll cover the next two in a second. All right, guys, you hear us say it again and again on this 
show sessions, all we're talking about all the time is Instagram. Yeah, Facebook. Yeah, Twitter. They're great. But Instagram is our favorite social channel and you can call us biased, but that is why we are working with Planoly this season. Um, with Instagram, there's a lot of digital real estate that should be planned out for efficiently before you hit post and Planoly allows you to do just that. As an official Instagram partner, they've been the go-to Instagram planning tool for over 2 million digital marketers, including Matt Black and Con content creators all around the world. With features allowing you to plan your grid and stories, engage with your audience right from the dashboard, auto post, make your Instagram shoppable and view analytics, Planoly will make your content planning a million times more seamless. Become a part of the Planoly family and get one month free on any new plan by using the offer code Planoly Sessions. That's one word, Planoly Sessions, during checkout at Planoly.com. Happy planning, everybody. So... What's fourth? We're getting close to the end of the process. What, for you, after we're curious, we're asking the right questions, we're, we're going through, we're working on the brief, what are we doing next? Well, I think there's having the daring to ask the right questions and the tough questions, but then you get to the answers. Okay, we want to reach middle America, but we know they don't really, you know, have that much style, so we're just going to do it this way. Hurtful. And then you go, well, wait, 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 did you just say middle America doesn't have style or whatever it might be? And I think that's the point where, again, being very honest with yourselves as creative professionals, do I judge consumers? Do I think people who shop at discount malls um, less than, not interesting? Is it only about New York and L.A.? Are there other places? Is there some sexism going on wait, in the room? Are, are there other places? <laughs> there are. Kansas City, come on, yeah. coolest city ever. Yeah. Um, and especially I think within the times we're living in, there's a lot of sexism. There's a lot of classes, class issues. There's a lot of racism. A lot of that stuff comes up in these meetings that ultimately will live in the creative if it is not called out. And I think as strategists, again, and anybody in the room, we have a responsibility to say, wait a minute, why do you think people who shop at discount malls aren't interesting? or really asking those questions because at the end of the day, I, everyone has this idea of this perfect consumer in their mind, but that's not realistic. They're real people. They're doing all sorts of things. So I think it's very, and for me, that's especially over the last five years when there's been such a focus on women's campaigns, I have had to really be the person in the room that makes everyone squirm when I have to say, well, what, what do you think a woman is this way? Or what do you, you know, and, and really challenge those, those things that we bring as human beings to the conversation because those do yeah. come out in the work. Yeah, but in all that, what do you think, is there like a generalization that you felt in creative in that? So like let's say there's different brands do different things. Where do you feel like they're co-opting the like a women's empowerment movement or do you think what they say is like, oh, we're going to target women, they all feel this way? So let's let's answer that, and and the answer is they don't all feel that way. Like, is there one kind of issue that's come up again and again for you? I think the notion that women, in order to reach women, you have to sort of get the co-opting is a bit of it, but I think it's also just being really honest with ourselves about how we portray people creatively, in the sense of our. It, it, how do I put this? It's a matter of really being honest with ourselves of the stereotypes we've seen in marketing, right? We've grown up, we've seen all the imagery. People can end up repeating a lot of that sexist, et cetera, things without being a, 
made aware of the fact that they're doing so. And I think with clients, because especially women are a massive focus revenue wise, everyone's sort of woken up to women matter within the brand marketplace that I think you can walk in with a lot of assumptions about what women are. Mm. And I think that inherently needs to be explored further so that nobody's just assuming that they're moving forward with this belief of what women are or who they are, what they want, and really going into how does this particular object or product fit into their sure, life and makes, looking yeah, at the diversity of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Saying like it's a group that's as dynamic as any other group. What does this product actually answer? Not they like all women want this. They all they all want empowerment in this way, or they all need they all need to feel. I don't know, support them this way because they're not by anyone, whatever, right? I, I think it, I think it's getting more honest and being more specific and thinking about our um, assumptions about what people are like who live in the suburbs when we're typically urban creative class or whatever it might be, right? So I think it's just being really honest about the assumptions we make and a little bit of judgments. Yeah. I hear a lot of, over my career, I've always heard a lot of criticism, uh, maybe, and judgment is the right word, especially in gaming. I mean, gaming was, and actually Puno and I's project originally, my whole goal with that was how can we help our clients see that gamers aren't the nerds they think they are and that they're actually dynamic, smart individuals who enjoy this pastime, but that they aren't somebody to just make something and sell it for, that they yeah. need respect. And I think that's an important and missing ingredient a lot of times from the conversation is, the people we're selling to do matter and they are varied and they have lots of interesting points of view. So don't discount that because that at the end of the day is going to make the work better and be less of a narrow, like homogenous point of view for marketing. Yeah. I feel like I benefited from my career started in footwear and, and we were 90% women and kids. And so that was like, that was all I not got to focus on, but that was just like, a given for me it was like it's always been that way in terms of like oh the product that we make is we, we make a women's product we also make a men's product but women connect with us more um and we tell right the brand tells stories and, and it was uh when we told brand stories we never it, it was never gendered right and we talked about this a lot over the past two weeks the idea of like so like people wanting stories to have genders or like or or um character traits to have genders and we very much thought that isn't true, right? Like anything that anything that people aspire to in terms of like their highest self isn't, none of that is gendered, right? Of being like a true person, an honest person, a creative person, a whatever, right? A good friend, like none of those things are gendered. So then when we talk about products and campaigns that are like, are supposed to help you want to achieve those things, like why, why would you gender them so much? Exactly. I think that's the whole point of number four, which is those assumptions or those labels or those really easy ways to like put people into a box. And therefore, the people we're talking to in the project, then it becomes very small and it becomes very generic. I think that's the biggest challenge we have as creative professionals is how do we make interesting, dynamic content and stories and key visuals that actually represent the world that's outside versus the marketing world that we all think exists totally. inside so so bring us home then we have those four what's what's last well i mean this is the hardest and the <laughs> not maybe the hardest but the most taxing for the strategist is okay you've cleared your mind you've made time for space you've gotten to the real problem you've challenged all of the uh assumptions and stereotypes. cultural norms and stereotypes in the room yes. 
And then you've got to the problem. Now your job is to protect and remind people that that is the problem we're doing all the way through. Because once that's agreed upon and it starts, the train starts moving, the old habits can start to come in. And then as a strategist, your job is essentially to keep people honest. Mm -hmm. And it's not a popular job. I mean, one of my uh, greatest mentors, David Terry at Wyden and Kennedy, like he would walk into a room and he would make people cry and he would break it down and he would like piss people off. But he had to do that to keep the bullshit out of the process. And I think that is the most important thing. How you do it, whether you make people cry or not, is your choice. That's not really my style. I like to lead with love. But I do think there's something really beautiful about the fact that we are the people that have to hold that problem and hold that truth all the way through and make sure everyone remembers what we're actually trying to do. Because you can get to the first round, the second round, the third round, and by then everyone's forgotten what they're actually doing and they're sort of obsessed with their own ideas. And it's our job to be continually bringing them back to the point of it. And be the person in the room that says consumers matter. These are people. And if you want to sell your product, you have to treat them with respect. And um, I think that's just the most important thing is protecting and reiterating the problem again and again so that you actually drive it all the way home so it doesn't get lost. Yeah. Like you're saying almost the, the process, it, it, or this, even this process of starting goes all the way through to the end. It's like you're constantly kind of referencing back to all these things to set yourself up for the right, for success, but then you have to keep kind of marking yourself against that. Whatever you decide on steps one through four, it's like if you don't, if you don't write it out, if you don't have it crystallized, you'll lose it and, and all of that work kind of goes out the window anyway. And then I think also the creatives lose uh, confidence in their ideas yeah. because they start to go down a track. And then once they've lost confidence, things fall apart. Mm -hmm. So helping them really stay sustained and focused on what they need to do is actually the best thing you can do for anybody. And, and then having account um, and other folks be there to protect that process. And then to the client, because a client may, you may go through all of this and the client goes, oh, wait, that's not really our problem. That's not what we wanted to do because their ego is involved at the end. And so you have to then again start over and say, well, let's remember why we started this. And as a strategist, that's the most important job is keep everyone honest, keep everyone in a place of respect for their audience and be of service to great creative. Because when that happens and going back to your really original question of what's a great campaign with imported from Detroit, we were able to protect and fight and defend that over many, many years. And it brought great, great success to that company in the matter of selling very expensive things. Mm -hmm. Cars are not an easy thing to buy. And that sort of continual process throughout that really did drive revenue. That's, that's very cool. So to all, I'll recap it. You start step one, clear the mind, how you're going into this brief, you're going into figuring out the problem, leave, uh, leave your assumptions at the door. Make that time, make the space to ask the actual hard questions. Third, be curious inside of that. Fourth, make sure you're recognizing assumptions as you're curious and things are coming up. And then lastly, crystallize on that problem and make sure you come back to it again and again uh, to through the different rounds of revisions to keep ego out of the process and, and being locked in ideas. Love that. Absolutely. And, and if you follow those steps, you will you will have followed uh, the, the Megan Guide to Great Campaigns. Absolutely. Love it. So what's going on for you in the next year, 2019? Man, I'm excited. It's a fun year. As you mentioned, um, I'm sort of uh, starting out on my own and getting out in the world. And I just want to work with great, great people, great brands, but um, 
just kind of be able to sort of uh, bring my expertise to lots of folks and, and see what happens. Nice. Um, and I'm a pretty diehard, newly christened dirt jumper rider, meaning like BMX, BMX dirt. I'm just obsessed. Well, so, how did that happen? You know, that's funny. I About a year ago, there's a park up in Portland, and I, I was curious, and I walked in, and they were super welcoming, and they gave me a bike and a helmet, and they said, just go ride, and started riding and got totally hooked. And now I'm like a 16-year-old kid who just watches BMX videos all day and tries to go to every park I can. And so for me, it's just, it's an interesting compliment to our process because you continually fall and fail and fall and fail. And then you have a great jump and then you're like, oh God, I got to keep going. Wow. And part of my process with writing like creative is if I fall down or fail, I have to do it right away. I, whatever jump I just fell on, I have to do it yeah, right away because it, I, yeah. I can't also, I can't have any failure associated with that. I want to always leave the park with success, just like you always want to leave a briefing or a meeting or a presentation. It's like you just got to own that and really make sure that you've created the space to walk out feeling really, really good. Yeah. Dude. So. Wow. What an answer. That's amazing. Um, okay. So we got one last question, but before we get to that, where can people find you? They've heard you. You're amazing. They want to work with you. What are the social handles or what, where are the places um, they get in touch? They can find me on Instagram under Mamberson at Instagram. I'm pretty focused on that. I don't do a lot of other ones, but, um, I kind of just focus on, you know, work and fun and that's where they can find me. So now I feel like I might know the answer to this question, but in closing, we want to know if you could take a year off and finesse a new skill, what would you choose to practice? Same money's no issue. You might say dirt jumping now, but, but, but what would be another good option? Um, I think that's, a, it's funny because as a strategist, right, we're always kept out of the creative. So in the actual production of things, but um, for me, like being able to learn how people make beautiful pictures is something I'm completely fascinated with. I would love to just spend a year learning photography. Um, I actually think there's a huge opportunity to capture audience and consumers in a really interesting way. And I don't think enough people kind of go to the mall and take pictures. So if I had to say a subject of choice, it would definitely be people at the mall. Mall goers. Mall goers. Orange Julius. Orange Julius, hot dog on a stick, whatever Ooh, it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, life is beautiful. And I think our business is really exciting because we can um, get to go to new places and explore new things. But part of that is having a responsibility to be really honest and call out the bullshit and be of service to the people we make great creative for. Couldn't agree more. Well, Megan, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Sessions, brought to you by Matt Black and the Shapeshift Report. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and rate us on iTunes. See you soon.